0: God's grace is defined as his favor extended toward undeserving mankind. If we deserve the kindness of God, it wouldn't be grace, it'd be a paycheck. But none of us deserve the grace or the kindness of God, so the fact that he would extend favor to us as undeserving persons tells you it's grace. A helpful little memory aid you may tuck into your minds this morning. G is for God's, R is for riches, A is for at, C is for Christ's, E is for expense. Put it together, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. What what Jesus Christ has paid for on the cross frees God the Father up to give us by way of blessing. God's riches at Christ's expense. I hope you know that grace is an entirely unique character quality of biblical Christianity. You can search and you can scour every other world religion, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, whatever world religion you seek to delve into, you will not find grace in any of them. Only in biblical Christianity is there grace. Biblical Christianity is characterized earmarked, set apart from all other world religions by the grace of God. Every other world religion is based on human merit. Every other world religion has the proponent of that religion working for the God they believe in to earn the God's favor It is only in the teachings of the scriptures, Old and the New Testament, that gives us the foundational doctrinal beliefs of biblical Christianity that tells us that God's favor, God's approval, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness of us as sinners is based upon the gift of his grace, the gift of Christ And the finished work of Christ. You know the verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, unmerited favor, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Some people say that the New Testament is full of God's grace, but God's grace isn't in the Old Testament. That is not true. From Genesis to Revelation, we can see God's grace, God favoring undeserving people, be they Old Testament people or New Testament people or church age people like you and me. God's grace is the storyline of Scripture, it's the theme of Scripture. And the word for grace, there's two words for grace that are in the Old Testament. Hen is a Hebrew word meaning favor or grace. We see it in Genesis 6 when God decides that the evil on earth is so rampant and so disgusting that he's gonna send a global flood to destroy everybody but the family Noah of eight persons told them to build an ark, gave them the specifications to build it. There'd never been a rainstorm. In faith, Noah builds this ark, is mocked for doing it. The eight-person family gets in the ark and God says, as the Subtitle on all of that in Genesis 6 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, even getting into that ark with his family was a demonstration of God's grace toward Noah and his family. Then, looking to the future, when Christ will come back and set up his kingdom the millennial kingdom the thousand year literal reign and rule of Christ of planet earth in the prophet zechariah old testament prophet zechariah looks forward to that time when Christ will return ascend to the mount temple mount in jerusalem and assume the davidic Throne, rightfully his, and rule and reign with an iron scepter over the whole planet earth. It says in Zechariah 12, verse 10, looking forward to that splendid event, and I will pour on the house of David, Jews, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they, the Jewish people, will look on me. Jesus speaking, whom they pierced on the cross. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and grieve for him who as one grieves for a firstborn. So watch now. We have grace being spotlighted in the global flood. God sparing Noah and his family, all the way through from Genesis to Zechariah, which looks forward to the return of the Savior to set up his kingdom, there was grace exhibited in the Old Testament. Don't let anybody tell you there's no grace in the Old Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament. There is grace in the New Testament. Thank God. The second word in the Old Testament for grace is hesed said it means kindness. It means loyal love. I told you in Dallas Seminary when I was doing some door-to-door witnessing, I got into an apartment complex and I was talking to a Dallas Seminary student sharing the way of salvation. He never told me he was a Dallas Seminary student. He wanted to see how I would do sharing the gospel. That's another story. But in the course of sharing the gospel with this seminary student that I didn't know was a seminary student, he had a yellow lab. I said, that's a beautiful dog. What's your dog's name? He said, Hesed. What a perfect name for a dog. Loyal love, grace, Hesed. I love that. Turning to the New Testament, the main word for grace, unmerited favor, in the New Testament is charis. The Rutherfords have named one of their daughters charis. It's the Greek word for grace, unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, mercy. And the essence of grace, listen now, the essence of grace works like this. God is for us. God is for us who in and of ourselves are against him. God is for us who in and of ourselves are against him and he has effectively acted towards us, giving us better than we deserve. That's God's grace. The personification of God's grace. You wanna see God's grace in a person Look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, while on earth, is the was the personification of unmerited favor toward sinners like all of us. Christ is the personification of God's grace. John chapter 1, 14 to 18, and the word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of watch, grace. Of truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth, both. Grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, watch, and grace for grace. Because of the fullness of Christ, being the personification of God's grace, we have received from Jesus and are receiving from Jesus grace upon grace. Goes on. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Jesus Christ is the personification of grace. What about the application of grace? How has the unmerited favor of God toward a planet full of rebels like all of us, how has that been applied? Well, one verse would tell us would be 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You wanna have righteousness? It's not through sacrificing to Hindu idols. You want to have righteousness? It's not through holy jihad in Islam. You want to have righteousness? It's received as a grace gift by the one who had no sin, who allowed sin to be heaped upon him on the cross to bear our sins, that we could make that glorious switch, that glorious trade for our unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. What a trade. What an application of God's grace. For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There are two types of grace. There are two types of grace. There's common grace, and there is special grace. God's common grace is unmerited favor given to everybody who has a breath, everybody who has a pulse, That's common grace. Then there's also special grace that is unmerited favor given only to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about common grace first. God is so gracious that even the person who is cussing him out this morning, God extends grace to that person, common grace. What common grace are we talking about? The witness to God given in his creation. That's a common grace. Romans 1, 18 to 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. A common grace given to all people is creation, pointing to a creator. A second common grace is God's limitation of lifespan, therefore limiting the potentialities for sinning. You know how long people lived in the early part of Genesis six, seven hundred years, eight hundred years? God shortened lifespan as a result of sin, partially as a mercy, as a, as an evidence of common grace to shorten down how much time people could live in rebellion and sin against God. Genesis 6 verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. God, as an act of unmerited favor, shortened human lifespan from nine, eight, 700 years down to 120 years so that people would have less years to rebel and sin against God. That's common grace. But there's more. There's the common grace of the delayed punishment of sin. God will punish sin. His holiness demands it, but he delays the punishment of sin because of his common grace. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is forestalling, holding back, delaying, postponing His righteous wrath judgment against sin so that more people will turn to His Son in faith and be saved. But there's more to common grace, there's God providing the solution. For sin. Titus 2, first part of verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's the common grace of God that God authored a solution. That God didn't expect us to climb some moral ladder to get to Him, but that in grace He came all the way to us in Christ that the grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. But there's more about common grace. There's also the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. God does not leave us to our devices. God gives conviction of sin through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before going to the cross, before dying and being raised from the dead, promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent to his believers. And in John 16, 8 to 11, Jesus said this, and when he, that is the Holy Spirit, has come, by the way, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He's not a force, he's got personality. He's always referred to by a personal pronoun. He's not an it, he's a he. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus speaking, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Thank God that when we walk into the week ahead of us today, the first day of a new week, when we walk into a new week, whether we're at school, whether we're working, whether we're transacting in the community, thank God that there's a Holy Spirit at work in the people around us Convicting them of their own sin. Thank God. And then we get to walk into divine appointments that he has made with us to meet Sally and to share the way of salvation. God having convicted Sally of sin before we ever met her so we can talk to Billy because the spirit of God's been convicting Billy of sin before we have a chance to talk to Billy. And so a common grace is the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, but there's more. The very provided necessities of life are a common grace from God. Matthew 5, 45, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes his son Uh, to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The person who hates God, the person who rejects Christ gets rain on his garden as much as the one who loves God and trusts Christ gets rain on his garden. God provides food for the wicked and God provides food for the redeemed. That's a common grace, the necessities of life. In Acts 14, verse 17, it says, nevertheless, he... God did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So all of these daily provisions of life's necessities ought to tell us who receive these things that there is a God and that he is gracious. But we always don't see people doing that, do we? The common grace of God witnessed in creation, limited lifespan, delayed punishment of sin, providing a solution for sin, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, the provided necessities of life, and a common grace of God is you and me. Where we live, where we raise our families, where we date, where we shop, we are salt inhibiting corruption and decay. We are light, throwing truth into error. We, the body and the bride of Christ, born again believers, we are part of God's common grace to the world. Jesus said in the same sermon on the mount before the church was born, you are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The influence of born again people is a common grace of God to the society. That's common grace. Let's switch over to special grace. If common grace is for everyone who has a pulse and is breathing alive, then special grace is only for the redeemed, the regenerate, the born again, the converted. Special grace is only for the family of God. And what is involved in special grace? Well, first of all, that God reveals himself in the scriptures. We see in John 5, 39 to 44, Jesus said to those that were around him, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Did you hear that? The scriptures are Christocentric. Christ is the center of the Old Testament scriptures, and Christ is the center of the New Testament scriptures. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? Special grace Includes God revealing himself to us in scripture as his blood-bought children. Another part of special grace is that God reveals himself in his son. In his son. Jesus said to him, John 14:9, I have I been with you so long, and yet you do not have known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? A special grace of God is that God reveals himself in Christ. And the scriptures reveal Christ to us. You want to know about Jesus Christ? Study the word of God. Read the word of God. Learn from the word of God. God reveals himself in Christ because Christ is God. Then, it says that a special grace of God is that God elects and ordains for salvation. God elects persons and saves persons. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. Just as he chose us, in the beloved God for ordaining and electing us to salvation is a special aspect of special grace, but there's more. God even provides us the faith necessary to trust Christ for salvation. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it, is the gift of God. The whole salvation package is the gift of God. Faith included. Special grace is God providing us the faith required to trust his son that we would be born again. Still with special grace. God saves sinners who believe on Christ. Let's finish that verse, Ephesians 2, eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's no boasting in heaven because heaven is all predicated on grace, unmerited favor. If we could earn heaven, we might be prone to boast in heaven. There'll be no boasting in heaven, only praising a God of grace that would save us as undeserving as we all are. But there's more to special grace. God redeems us. Ephesians 1, first part of verse seven. In him we have redemption through our, his blood. We have redemption. Redemption is God going into the slave marketplace of sin where we were all on the block up for bid. God going into the slave marketplace of sin with his son when he came in that first incarnation. The first Christmas. God going to the slave marketplace of sin where we were all for sale. God going into the slave marketplace of sin and purchasing us, redeeming us, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, purchasing us out of the slave marketplace of sin and making it possible that we would be set free to do the bidding of the will of God as found in the Word of God. That is special grace. Special grace also includes justification. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Being justified is a judicial term, a legal term, a term of the court where a person is declared innocent. We have been declared innocent. Why? Because we were innocent? No, no. We have been declared innocent, justified by the grace of God. And when the court of heaven looks upon you or me, it sees us robed in Christ's righteousness, accepted in the beloved. Our sins, past, present, future, fully paid for, retired. That is Special grace that God would justify. But there's more to special grace. God also forgives. The second part of verse seven of chapter one of Ephesians. In him we have redemption. That's a slave marketplace. We have redemption through his blood. Now watch. The forgiveness of sins. The only way we have forgiveness of our sins is the grace of God. None of us can demand forgiveness of our sins. None of us warrant forgiveness of our sins. If we have our sins forgiven and praise God we do, it's because of the grace, the unmerited favor of God expressed to us in Christ. But well, there's more. Not only Do we see the things I've said so far about special grace? But there's sanctification that God sets us apart for his possession and his use. Listen to Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The glorious hope is the rapture return of Christ, who, that is Jesus, who gave himself for us, Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God has set us apart in salvation from the world system that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ fully out. Sanctification is God setting us apart from the world and our flesh as his possession to use us in special ways because we are his, we're no longer our own. I told you when my parents would have company, they would put out hand towels that we never saw as children until company came. They were the company's hand towels. They were sanctified hand towels set apart for the guest's possession and use. And if our little dirty hands were dried off on those particular towels, woe was us. Those were not for the kids, those were for the company. Those towels were set apart for, for the guest's possession and use. You've been set apart for God's possession and use. If you're single and you're dating, you've been set apart for purity, for God's possession and use. If you're married, you've accepted marriage vows before God and your spouse and witnesses to be set apart from all others of the opposite sex and only to be set aside for your wife or for your husband. You're set apart for God's possession and use. That is an act of, that is an act of common grace. So how do we, how do we respond to God's grace? I mean, this massive time and eternity shifting truth that in his love and choice, he has shown to us in his son, the Lord Jesus, unmerited favor. How do you respond to that? Well, one way you respond to that is with grateful reception. With grateful reception. You understand that it's a gift you've received and that you just receive it with thanks. Great thanks, Romans 11, five and six. Even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace and if by grace then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Grace and work are different. You can't mix the two. If you're approved by God's grace, then you're approved by God's grace and you can't be approved by good works. If you think you're approved by good works when you're not, but you're striving to be approved of God by your good works, you are negating, you are ignoring, you are discounting his grace. Instead, we are to receive that marvelous grace with thanksgiving. Second way, how do we respond to God's grace? Well, loving service. We respond to God's grace in loving service. The grace of God should make us people that are grateful to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again. When you know you've been saved by God's grace through faith in God's Son, it is a motivation to live a thank you kind of life back to the Savior. What does a thankful kind of life look like? It looks like serving the Lord by serving others. That's why small groups are so important. They'll give you an outlet to serve the Lord by serving other people. You don't want to miss out on that. How do we respond to God's grace? By gratefully receiving it, by doing loving service as a thank you back to God, and by full obedience, that when we read the scriptures, we have no known debt of obedience to God that we haven't strove to meet. When we know what God commands us to do, we do it. We lovingly obey him fully. Partial obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Full obedience, ready obedience, excited obedience, spirit-driven obedience, Titus 2, 11 to 14, we've heard these verses earlier. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. When people know you and they see you at work, they see you in your neighborhood, they see you driving your car, they see you handling money, they see you keeping your promises, they should say, That's a special person who's zealous for good works, who lives purely godly, differently than the average bear. How do we respond properly to God's grace? By gratefully receiving it, by giving loving service back to the giver of the grace, by fully obeying the giver of the grace, and last, by humbly dispersing grace. Grace. We who have received so much unmerited favor from God don't let it ever be said of us that we held back unmerited favor for people that didn't measure up to us. The older brother in the story, parable of the prodigal son. I slave for you all of these years and you never threw a party for me. And now this son of yours, he couldn't even call him his brother, this son of yours comes home from riotous living in the far off country, spending all this money with women and evil and you have a barbecue for him. We don't want to be like that older brother. We who have received so much grace from, from God in Christ, we should be quick and ready to give grace to other people. Give them unmerited favor. Give them the good they don't deserve. <laughs> Driving in this city, you and I get lots of opportunities to give grace to other drivers. Right? Coming to church, through a red light, came around me and went through a red light, there's so many, so many opportunities we have because we've received God's grace that we give it back out to the glory of God. Why do you treat me so good, you might be asked. You could say because God has treated me so good. How can you put up with my failures because God in Christ puts up with my failures? How come you're not gravely disappointed with my behavior because God in Christ is not gravely disappointed with my behavior. He, he's forgiven me my misbehaviors and I forgive you yours. The proper response of God's grace. God's grace is God's favor extended toward undeserving people like us. God's Riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. First time I heard it, I was in a fast food restaurant in the southern United States. And I was waiting to order my chicken. And the guy ahead of me was asked, How you doing? And he said, Better than I deserve. I chewed on that for a while. That's the person who's been graced by salvation through Jesus Christ. That ought to be our answer. How you doing today? Better than I deserve. (laughs) Because I've been graced by God. I wonder what would happen this week if you purposed in your dealings, the first person who asked you, how are you today? Or what do we say? We say, everything all right? then you can say, yeah, it's more than all right. I'm getting better than I deserve. Maybe the conversation will go beyond the simple, polite question, is everything all right, to the gospel and to the way a person is graced with forgiveness in heaven. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin, in our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. By the way, if you get an apprehension of the magnitude and the marvelousness of God's grace, a result will be you'll long to see the face of the one who's given you the grace. You'll long for him. You'll want to be with him. You want to be like him. You want as many people as possible to know and love him. You want nobody to leave this earth without him. Could there be anybody here this morning? Could there be anybody here this morning that needs God's unmerited favor? Having lived in rebellion against God, having lived his or her own way, having been content to look at saving faith as for somebody else, Could it be that someone in the sound of my voice is concluding that they need the one who is the personification of grace and truth? They need a savior. The only savior that God has provided is the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, as we bow our heads and close our eyes as a congregation, would the Lord be drawing someone to Christ? Would the Lord be giving someone the faith required to just trust Jesus and only Jesus? For the forgiveness of sins, for a new life. This would be the time to, right where you sit, to put your full trust onto this wonderful, gracious Savior. You could pray something like this. This is not a magic prayer, this is trusting God from your heart. Lord, I need your grace. I deserve your wrath. I run to your son. I change my mind about anything that's kept me from trusting him. I change my mind about my sin. I run to Christ in faith. I desire the gift of forgiveness i desire the gift of heaven if that is your prayer gracious god has heard you and he has saved you and we welcome you into god's forever family and we ask you to let it be known that you trusted the lord jesus to be your savior before you Go to bed tonight, phone somebody that you know as a Christian and tell them. We'd love to help you get started in your new faith, your new walk with Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that it means to us for time and for eternity. Thank you that we who are bowed in your presence have not only experienced common grace but in Christ we have experienced special grace. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be gracious. Forgive us for any times we've looked like the older brother. Oh, God, help us to be gracious because you are perfectly gracious. Thank you that your grace means that one day we won't be lined up at the great white throne judgment and sentenced to the lake of fire. But thank you because of your grace that we will be in the line for the Bema judgment seat of Christ and the result of that may even be reward. How gracious, how very gracious. Lord, we love you and we want to respond to you in the best ways possible. Ways of grace. And we pray this in Jesus' the personification of grace and truth's name, amen.